Welcome to the Wild Remedies Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Ancora, and I'm here to bring you captivating stories from some of the most fascinating people I've connected with on my own journey of physical, mental, and spiritual well being. So sit back, relax, and get ready to be inspired. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Wild Remedies Podcast. Today, we are speaking with my friend Nicole Gibson, and she has got to be one of the most inspiring human beings I have ever met. <laughs> you guys are going to love this conversation. Um, what is just so profound for me about Nicole is she has just achieved so much and has had such a powerful journey um, at such a young age. She is just a powerhouse entrepreneur. And we're going to dive into all of the details of how she got started with her business, Love Out Loud, and the health challenges and a lot of the adversity that she faced as a young woman, and how that really shaped her into the person that she is today with the huge mission that she has. Um, Nicole is known as a multi-award winning social entrepreneur, but she prefers to be seen as an unstoppable messenger of love and human potential. She's listed as the Financial Review's top 100 most influential women, Pride of Australia medalist and finalist for the Young Australian of the Year. She's impacted millions of people worldwide in her unconventional models of community development and transformation. Currently, Nicole is the CEO of a global movement, Love Out Loud, engaging 4% of the global population to hit critical mass and shift humanity's baseline from fear to love. Love Out Loud is now focused on the development of technologies that can measure belief systems, rapidly being able to transform and direct human consciousness at scale. Okay, so that is really cool. We talk about that at the end of the podcast, so make sure you get um, all the way to the end and learn more about that project. It is so wildly fascinating. So essentially, what they're doing is using the principles of quantum physics and linking that into tech in order to help just change not only things on the planet, but also um, your your state, which is just, oh my gosh, so exciting. So exciting. Okay. So let's jump into this and let's meet Nicole Gibson. You guys are going to absolutely love this episode. Nicole, welcome to the Wild Remedies podcast. I am so excited to see you again. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it has been like, my gosh, how long has it been since since we chatted? Like a couple of years at least? Two and a half, I reckon. Yeah, I was right right at the beginning of all the, the, the madness. So I'd say maybe May 2020. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Totally different world back then. So naive. <laughs> yeah, just everyone cast your mind back to 2019 and think about how distant that feels. <laughs> It's, 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 it's crazy. It feels like 10 years ago, right? It does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. honestly, we've been through so much, so much mm-hmm. since then. And um, mm-hmm. hopefully a lot of growth. Like how, how how have you felt through all of this the past couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I really subscribe to the, the idea that um, part of the evolutionary process is uh, – sort of this uh, refractory period where it kind of seems like we're going backwards, but actually that's just there as a leverage point so that we can accelerate forwards, uh, sort of entropy before the the rebirth. And I know on a, on a micro level for me, definitely, like I feel it's as, as we've all had a difficult time in our own ways, I think, you know, um, it's been really tough, but I feel 
so much stronger as a person yeah. and I think like on a macro level that's how we're going to come out of it too we're going to be so much stronger or, or at least that's what we need to be that's what we need to be rooting for as, as an outcome yeah. for all that we've been through yeah yeah I agree actually that's an interesting perspective and uh, I've mentioned this many times on the podcast about you know individuals that go through a lot of adversity um, generally end up being very strong resilient people right and mm-hmm this is kind of an opportunity for all of humanity to face something and to, you know, hopefully come out stronger. I know a lot of people um, have gone through a lot of difficulties during this time, Um, but it really is an opportunity for growth, isn't it? Mm. Of course, you know, and it's, um, it's so common, I think for people to, to see someone that's really strong and never to question um, what's made them that way definitely my experience working with people it's it's never it, it never just is you know it's mm-hmm. um it's, it's a result of um having that be developed in some way and usually like it's it's the polar right someone that's gone through something that's made them completely vulnerable and fragile because mm-hmm. they've been taken to those places in order to survive in order to get through it they've had to cultivate enough strength to to um get them out of that really difficult time so I know it's hard to sort of hold that awareness when you're going through it, but it, there's definitely, that's the gift. That's the gift in these experiences. And I, I think like how many people in the Western world prior to 2020 were saying things like, oh, I just wish the rat race would stop. You know, I wish, I wish society would change or like there's something just not quite right about, about society. And then, then we go through something like this and we can be so quick to be like, oh, I just want things to go back to normal and not actually be inquisitive and curious and, and take the, the opportunity to actually um, make the changes that I think collectively we were all asking for in one way or another. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's been a huge shift in, you know, like an exodus of people leaving the workforce, realizing like, hey, this isn't what I want to do anymore, right? We have more people starting to work for themselves and, Mm. you know, looking for things that are more fulfilling because we've also gone through a period of, you know, I guess looking at one's mortality and that will definitely make some shifts in in a person's life. Mm, For sure. Yeah, so true. I took um, some meetings last week in in Sydney, so one of Australia's, you know, biggest cities and, I was meeting um, the executives of a few different companies and we're taking meetings in their office and there was literally zero employees in the office. And it's just normal. Oh, wow. Not yeah. because of a resign, just because they're, they're now sort of comfortable with working from home. And I think employers yeah. are finding it really, really tough getting all of their employees back to work and questioning whether or not it's even that's even the goal anymore, which I think mm-hmm is a great thing ultimately like having time where you're together as a team but having a, a day-to-day ecosystem economically that allows people to have more sovereignty that's that's definitely i think a step in the right direction yep absolutely is your team predominantly um mobile yeah we're all um we're all, all over the place uh and yeah. what we're more and more trying to sort of cultivate culturally is um having this time of deep um, togetherness sort of immersive yeah. times where we're really together and we we get on the same page and we plan and we strategize and then being able to spread our wings and not be um 
yeah, not, not be stuck to any one location. But I mean, for, for me, and it's probably because I've never worked for anyone, so I didn't maybe have this dogma. I don't know, it never really made, it, it never made sense that you would need to have everyone together to make sure that, you know, they were doing their work. Um, mm-hmm. it, every, every person should be um, measured against their, their true merit. You know, if you're able to get the result, <laughs> no matter where you are, in fact, I think a lot of people get better results when they're able to work in a cafe or sit on the beach, you know, and why yep. would you, it's, it's very soul destroying to force someone to be in a cubicle. <laughs> um, yeah. And just why, I guess it's yep. this kind of like factory mindset coming out of the industrial revolution that hasn't been challenged until, until now, um, which is crazy. Yeah, it is. It's wild. Oh my God. I remember like some of my first jobs, well, one in particular, I used to work for a municipality and uh, I was like nine to five. Wasn't a cubicle. I mean, like for what it was, you know, if it was going to be an office, it was okay. But it was just like, why? Like I would just get so much more done at home if I didn't have to commute, you know, all my snacks are there. It's just Uh so much easier when I can just, you know, make something quickly, eat it, get it done and not just like force myself to be productive for whatever, eight hours, right? Because I don't know, I find for myself, like I need to have breaks throughout the day and just have somebody watching you all the time and like making sure that you're running in and out and stuff. It's just like, that was just a complete fuck no for me from a very, very early age. I was like, that is absolutely not going to (laughs) happen. It was truly one of my biggest fears and probably why I was so driven to just make it work as, as an entrepreneur on a personal note, like just, yeah. Also time versus money never really made sense to me. Yeah, because they're not comparative. You know, one is is literally um, so dispensable. You know, you can make money in so many different ways, and time yeah. you're, just never, you're never going to get back. So to have that mindset, um, I think, is also very destroying on the human soul. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of being entrepreneurial, let's chat about love out loud. I know you have an absolutely. Oh, man, it's just such an inspiring story. Um, So let's just start with like your background, like how everything started. I know that you went through a lot of adversity in your younger years. Um, So let's let's dig into that. Sure. Yeah. Where would you like me to begin? Where it all started? (laughs) Where it all started. Yeah. I know there was some healing and things that needed to happen. And, you know, we talk about how adversity creating resilience. Maybe let's start there. Yeah, for sure. I mean... I guess the first thing in terms of resilience for me, what was really unique about my childhood was just the level of the level of change that I was experiencing all the time. I went to so many different schools, almost a school year in, in, in a way. Um, but I left mainstream school at, at 14 to pursue performance. Um, so I kind of had this PhD. That's what I like to call it in, in change <laughs> by the time mm-hmm. I become, become an adult. Um, and What's, what's really incredible about that is it showed me how few people, because I had, I guess, a comparative experience, how few people have ever learned to build a positive relationship with change. And, and then going into working as an entrepreneur in, in mental health and solving the, problem, the subsequent problems that you see in mental health, and I'll, I'll go into a little bit more detail of you know, that journey 
in just a little bit, but on change, what I really started to notice was people tend to, and statistically this is backed up, struggle the most and are most vulnerable during periods of transition and change. Um, it's something like 90, 90% of um, moderate to mild mental health challenges are, are triggered usually by some kind of life change that someone's not able to, to, to cope with, which makes sense, right? Whether that's the loss of a job, a breakup, maybe a, a death, maybe a health crisis, something that suddenly happens, um, or maybe it's not even sudden, maybe it's just the, the inevitable thing that was always going to happen, but you were so in resistance to it because you didn't have the you know, resource to, to relate to that change in a positive way. Um, leads to distress and the anxiety and sometimes, you know, depression, these other complications um, within the spectrum that is mental health. And I really see a huge part of the solution there, learning to be agile and nimble and, uh, and accepting, you know, ultimately acceptance is where you really do start to, to heal, um, anything <laughs> so if you're in acceptance of what needs to be let go of and you're welcoming of, of that new chapter and you're not holding yourself in the resistance which is where suffering's created i think a lot of the pain we experience in life won't disappear but it will, will certainly be minimized um so that was something my childhood forced me to get really good at <laughs> which i hated at the time obviously you know but yeah. um, I, I had to accept very young, okay, you know, change is this really inevitable part of life and letting go mm-hmm. is this really inevitable part of life. And on the other side of that, when I relate it to my journey as an entrepreneur, it's allowed me to think so big because I think part of what part of what blocks us from being able to dream and vision in this really expansive way is on a subconscious level where actually we're already premeditating the things we're going to have to let go of. Like the human mind wants to focus on all the things we're potentially going to lose um, on, on that journey of fulfilling our, our dreams, which is really, there's this whole other way you can, you can see it, this whole perspective shift um, that's available. Uh, but a lot of, a lot of the time it's just not, not practiced. So I've really always had this, curiosity it's more than that it's more like an obsession with with helping um people really understand the the process of change because there's a lot of it obviously that's unpredictable but there's also things that are predictable there's this cycle and this pattern of change um which when i when i teach love out loud's work i teach it as the the process of a rite of passage um which is very similar to metamorphosis the um, ending of an old identity and then the the liminal space where you're not who you were but you're not yet who you're becoming and then the integration into this new identity and when you understand that this is the the form change actually does take the biggest shift the biggest fundamental shift that happens there is usually when we go into that change and we're unconscious to the cycle of change things will be falling away from our life because we can't hold on to them anymore and we're thrown into that space of liminality, but we're not empowered to consciously direct that change. And so we're kind of at the mercy of, you know, reacting to, 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 to life. Um, we lose a job and, you know, we, we're so stressed out and we don't, we don't know how to take control of that change. And, you know, maybe um, the first thing that comes along because we're so afraid of being in that liminal space, that discomfort of, well, I, I'm identityless all of a sudden, 
maybe we take like the first offer that comes to us, which is really just like the energetic echo of what you were just in, which um, isn't actually really helping you grow rather than relaxing, easing into that process, understanding that it's a natural cycle and taking the time to be like, well, okay, something's falling away here because I'm being called into greater expansion. Um, What do I really want? You know, and it's in that space that you can't control anymore what's falling away, but you can direct where that leverage is going to take you. Um, And that's that's where I think we can really find empowerment. We can have self-control and self-regulation and and direction and and conviction without needing to try and control the external all the time. Um, Going to so many different schools and living in different countries as, as a kid, anyone that had similar experiences, you you know that it's always sad to say goodbye to your friends, you know, and when it happens a few times, you also realize, okay, I'm going to make a new friend. It's not the end of the world. Like the sun's still going to come up tomorrow. Um, and so that, that's, that to me is resilience when you're no longer fighting reality, when you're in harmony with it. But I really battled, you know, talk, talk about adversity. I didn't, I didn't know how to cope with that. Um, when I was younger, like it wasn't, I was forced to learn how to, but that was through a lot of struggle. That was through going through a lot of suffering consistently and realizing I need to, I need to learn to do this, to do this differently. Um, and I also just wasn't suited to the schooling environment, you know, so all of it together was, was like a bit of a mess. And I was an artist at heart. I saw everything as art and poetry and like just wanted to express myself. I didn't want to be sitting at a desk, you know, learning math. That wasn't really my vibe. Um, so when I, when, I, when I started to pursue that at, at 14, um, I was thrown into this amazing environment ultimately it was an incredible environment where I got to pursue the thing that I loved, which was theater every day. Um, but what no one, no one taught me at that age was you can have these amazing sort of opportunities, which I did, but if you don't have that relationship with yourself, if you haven't found that center and that love inside of yourself, you, you can't really turn those amazing opportunities into the outcomes you're, you're wanting them to because you're fighting yourself. And isn't that true for so many people? You know, like yeah. going back to the start of the conversation, how many of, of you guys said, I just want, you know, change. I just want society to, to stop. And, and then it happened and your mind goes straight to, well, you know, I'm out of my comfort zone. I just wanted to go back to normal. You know, when is this going to end? And, you have to learn to, to really go with it. Um, and so that at that point in my life was my biggest initiation through that, but my mental health really, really suffered. And it was quite a, um, I don't know if it was a competitive environment or I just related to the environment competitively because I wanted to be the best because I associated my worth with with what I saw as being the best at, at my art school. Um, I had these ideas about what that what that was um and strived so hard to my demise you know which resulted in a um a life-threatening eating disorder what's really interesting about going through an experience like that is it really is related to identity you know it's so linked and I think this is true to to all mental health challenges in a way when when the identity starts to 
and even in our language, you know, I am depressed, I am anorexic. There's a there's a, a bias towards identification with those experiences. Um, mm-hmm. If you don't know how to let it go, it's going to continue to grow vines, you know, in inside of you, which which definitely is what happened to me. And it it was really <clears throat> being in in the experience of anorexia for the the first you know year or so. I really thought that I was in control of that. Mm-hmm. Um, eating disorder and it wasn't until I really felt so helpless um that I started to realize it it had control of me um and although that that experience specifically not everyone has had when I share my story I encourage people to think about where that's relevant to them how many situations have you found yourself in in life where you really thought you had it under control and when you know when all is said and done, if you were to really be honest with yourself, you feel totally snowed under um, and you, you don't know how to get out of a situation that ultimately um, isn't healthy for you, isn't, isn't, the best, isn't the best thing for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned so much in that, though. I really learned how, as a society, we relate to, to pain because as the, as the illness got worse, obviously it showed and that was also different to I think a lot of people that go through versions of mental health challenges that are less visible it's not always you're not seeing people's um reaction but for me in that experience I was seeing the way people related to it um because it would be the first thing on their face when when I met them or when I was talking to them when it started to get really critical and I couldn't I couldn't hide anymore and in my recovery from that, it posed a lot of questions. I had a lot of curiosities in a general sense about society. Like, why are we so quick to resist and, and reject something when, we, when, when, when it makes us uncomfortable, especially when it represents vulnerability or it represents pain? You know, and it, again, I think it... it it stems from this really negative relationship with change a lot of the time because we'd have to lean in and we'd have to open up and it's unknown to us and it's uncomfortable. Um, it really think about the impact that's having on our, on our world, on our society at large and even in our own life when you, when you can't open your heart to have those difficult conversations, when you can't sort of breathe into um, these experiences that will transform you and probably the other person because of your own internal contraction, what it's ultimately doing is limiting your life. It's limiting your ability to connect with others. It's, it's limiting your ability to vision and dream. It's limiting your ability to make really difficult decisions. And I think if you want to have a truly expansive life, that's that's something that's inevitable that you're going to have to figure out how to do make difficult decisions because <laughs> um, there's going to be plenty of them um, and all of that comes down to resilience and I, I, I had a very deep insight into just how removed we are from being encouraged to do that on a societal level when I was basically the um, the the point of projection of that, you know, through, through the, through the eating disorder and interesting, like interestingly, a big part of my healing was the shift of thinking from, 
you know, no one's there for me and no one can lean in and, and help me to, wow, you know, that person's so unable to be with their own vulnerability that the only um, decision they can make when they're around pain is to reject it. And it's really just a projection of themselves that they're in such a deep rejection of self. And for me coming out of that experience, my capacity to be with people's humanity is really deep. It takes a lot for me to start to feel uncomfortable in any kind of um, emotion, you know, whether it's deep, deep grief or, or shame or anger, I've got a very deep ability to hold that. And that's because I've had to hold myself in that. You know? So it's, I have, um, it's, it's much easier to feel like people can come as they are. I don't, I don't need you to be any certain way. You can just be you. Um, and from that place, very beautiful relationships can be developed. Um, and yeah, learning to deal with, with the change process um, and actually learn to love the change process and get excited for the change process. That's what it, that's what it unlocks ultimately, which became a big part of the ethos of, yeah, the work I went on to do as a, as a entrepreneur. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That is such a beautiful story. And there is so much to unpack there. <laughs> I'm curious, do you, do you still, um, experience a lot of change in your life or has that, sort of settled down as you've gotten a little bit older. Hi, I'm Maddie. Let me tell you a quick story of how I'm supporting my PCOS with Wild Remedies Spice Chocolate Magic Latte. First of all, I'm a registered holistic nutritionist, so you know I'm investing in finding long-term, sustainable approaches to wellness. Living with PCOS, when things are feeling a little out of balance, it's common for me to wake up groggy, have blood sugar crashes throughout the day, or become totally overwhelmed by daily stressors. My morning coffee was causing blood sugar spikes, anxiety, and tummy trouble, so I swapped it for Wild Remedies Spiced Chocolate Magic Latte about a year ago, and believe me when I tell you that the change has been insane. Each sachet has three servings of wild Siberian chaga, a powerful antioxidant-rich adaptogenic mushroom that helps to fight inflammation and fatigue and regulate the immune system. It tastes like a creamy hot chocolate with just a hint of spice, and it keeps my stomach calm. Since swapping, I feel more clarity and calm throughout the day, and my morning magic latte helps to set clear intentions for the rest of my day. I save 15% on my monthly subscription at wildremediesshop.com and at $2.50 per serving, it's saving me a ton on Starbucks runs and supplement orders. Check out the links and promos in the show notes to get your own. Your adrenals will thank you. <laughs> well, um, I mean, at the moment, Love Out Loud's moved into tech, so I'm basically scaling a tech startup. So I'd say every day is a... <laughs> yeah, a lot of change. <laughs> a wild adventure, yeah. but And even like, you know, this is a new level of um challenge for me and I'm having to adjust my comfortability with with change and it's not even interestingly as a leader it's not even I'm pretty comfortable with the change but where I I've been doing growth work is my ability to um hold and deliver that level of change consistently to others that's that's mm -hmm. definitely that's a point of discomfort when as a leader, sometimes I just wish I could be more consistent, you know, but it's not actually the right thing for the business to keep going in a direction that's not working. Yeah. Um, yeah and the, the easier I become about it, you know, the, the better it is for the, for the company and actually the better it is for the team. So these, there's constant points of contraction that I'm having to face inside myself. 
Um, but what I've learned to do is have routines, you know, and points of consistency that no matter what's happening on the outside, there's something I can come home to. And that's been especially true this year, um, more than any other time in my life. I've really, I've developed that. I'm, I'm more serious about it than I've ever been, probably because of, of the level of change, you know, that, that I'm dealing with every day. Um, to not have that would mean would make it very very hard for me to to cope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, I'm really interested in what that routine looks like, and yeah, okay. So what this is kind of bringing me to right now is just even on my own journey right now. Um, I'm noticing that there. I mean, I've always noticed that there is this big theme of like deep trans transformative um, events that happen in my life. And they're usually quite sudden and dramatic. And <laughs> I, I I always go back, like I like to dig into astrology and now looking more into the gene keys. And I have this, it's called the, the, 40, the, the number 47, the gene key 47, which is quite predominant in my chart, which essentially talks about exactly what you were talking about. And so I'm just curious um, to see what your chart would look like. And if that's in there as well, um, it's, it's a challenging placement to have, but again, like you are always offered these opportunities to be faced with a lot of change and a lot of challenge in your life. And it's just part of your, your, your work in this incarnation to build that resiliency. And so it's really beautiful that you've done that and also recognize that at such a young age. (laughs) I mean, like, you have been winning awards and all kinds of things for your advocacy and your work at like, oh my gosh, like I made a note here. One of Australia's top 100 most influential women at the age of 21. Like that is wild. That is wild. Like how how did all of that happen at such a young age? I mean, there's... Um... There's so many ways that I can answer that question, right? (laughs) But I think like to to try and give the most helpful, simplest answer, um, and you actually alluded to it before, was through these experiences I had to face the reality of death. And that was where the path I was on with anorexia, basically it it took me to that that crossroads. I had to make change or that that was the next you know reality of that of that path that I was on um which is a, is a very rare thing I think for any 16 17 year old to be faced with you know how many 16 and 17 year olds are thinking about death it's just it's a pretty uncommon experience unless you've maybe had a health crisis yourself or maybe you've experienced a death close to you and all those people that I've ever met they're all changed you don't go through an experience like that un- unchanged. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what that then forced me to do was basically, and I would encourage everyone to do this, you know, even even if you don't have a, a life event that's forcing you to. For me, I had to consciously choose life. You know, a lot of us, us are just living. We're just living by default because our mom and dad chose to have sex, you know, and then here we are. Like, <laughs> um, 
And maybe later in life, you know, maybe at that point in the cadence of our sort of societal milestones that we lay out, we start to think, hmm, maybe I should give back, you know, or maybe I, uh, I'm going to have kids and that's going to be my way of, of leaving a legacy in the world. Um, my journey was very different. I had, to, I had to choose that in order to save my life and to get out of these really toxic um, patterns of ultimately I, I sort of associate anorexia with addiction. I had to find strength to, to overcome that. Um, and it was one of the hardest, you know, um, things I've ever done to rehabilitate. It's, it's not just mental. For, for me at that stage, it had to rehabilitate my body. It had to rehabilitate my, my mind, you know. Um, it, it did damage to me spiritually when you betray yourself like that consistently every day. It's, it's, a, lot of, it's a lot of healing that you've got to go through um, to forgive. You know, I had to forgive myself. I had to forgive myself for allowing that level of self-punishment. Um, so it's, it's, it's very deep work, and I think, like, that journey isn't talked about enough. So, so often, so often you'll have someone that's gone through adversity and then, you know, the next citation is, oh, and you became the, the um, most influential, top 100 most influential woman in Australia. But it's like, no, like there was so like, let's talk. I think the thing that's most relevant is the moments where I couldn't even think a day ahead. You know, my, my the frame of my thought was like, how am I going to get through the next minute of this anxiety? You know, that. That's how narrow in moments my my frame became. And I think that that's true strength, you know, that, that, that the winning of an award or the success of a business is how you show up in those micro moments and the strength that you cultivate. And a lot of the time, by the way, and I think this is true for a lot of people, I didn't feel strong in those moments. I didn't feel like I was coping in those moments. I felt like the world was going to end. I felt like I was failing. But the fact that you endured it, you know, that you felt all of those things that you felt that were so uncomfortable, that was so difficult, and you're still here, you know, and, and you did find a way, even when your mind was telling you that you didn't do it in a way that was good enough or, you know, you could have handled it better or this or that, you you still got through it. And that that's the true cultivation of strength. Um, and I see those big wins really as as – enough of those small wins adding up to, to create, to create that. Um, of course, it's, it's incredible to be recognized for hard work, but you also can't, you can't make it about that. Um, you've got to make it about defining your character. It's like when I step into um, a weight session or a yoga class, I'm, I, I intentionally don't think about, you know, in, in five years' time, am I finally going to be able to do this pose, you know, perfectly? I think, like, what's my relationship to myself right now and how can I how can I connect even deeper and become even more deeply present, you know, today than, than yesterday? And over time, of course, that's going to add up to, to greater success. <laughs> um, but that's what really matters. And I've also been at times of fast fast-paced um you know where, where there's been pressure and expectation in a, in a business as there always is and I've lost sight of those moments I've lost sight of what really matters and that's that's a really empty path and this these are the stories of people that will have it all on paper and how common is that story 
but they don't actually have anything because they they've sacrificed the things that truly are important present you know and 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 growth um internally and connection to self and the relationships around you in the pursuit of something that's ultimately two-dimensional um when when i won that award um that was coming off the back of a a two-year trip around australia and in my van speaking in communities and schools and that's the thing that really matters you know the you know the, how fucking shit scared I was as a teenager driving through the, the the desert in Australia, some of the wildest, rawest desert. You know, you're talking thirty hours before you get to the next roadhouse, carrying jerry cans in fifty degree heat. Like, I was oh so, God. I was so scared. I was so scared, but I did it. And that's that to me is the true award. You know, and the true award was meeting those edges of myself. And still choosing to to pursue my dreams, regardless of how scared I was. Getting up and talking in front of kids, like now that feels easy, but that was not easy. Especially like at the time, I was only a couple of years older than them. So in a way, they sort of felt like my peers, you know. Um, and it's it's all those moments. It was the moment that I had like really, really bad um I was really, really badly sick. I had food poisoning and um I had a, a uh, an interview, one of the first interviews where the media had actually wanted to cover the story of the trip. And I was so sick and I was living in a van, you know, <laughs> it was like, I was at the, I was at the Maccas trying to like pull myself together before I had to present, you know, so that that's, that's the reality of what I think everyone's story looks like on the way to success. Mm-hmm. And yeah. as I move more and more into success which i'm deeply grateful for like it's it's amazing to watch my company grow and to watch my team grow and and all of those things don't ever don't ever lose sight in this instagram world of just how real those realities are for every person you're looking at and you think they have something i want or you know it looks so easy for them (laughs) if someone's making something look easy or simple they've had to go through a lot of shit to, to refine it to a place that it seems that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's tough because that comparison, um, can be really paralyzing for, for a lot of people. I know even myself, it's like, if I find myself doing it, I'm like, Nope. Okay. We're turning this off. This is not reality. You know, this is, you know, it doesn't serve anyone, but it's really tough with social media and things these days. There's so much out there. And it doesn't serve the person either. Like sometimes that's a nice thing to remember that that when you see someone in that light, you know, ultimately what you're doing is dehumanizing them. And it's also our responsibility to tell the truth. Like we have to be honest. I think especially as a leader, I challenge leaders on this all the time. Like if you're if you're creating a a bit of a deceptive image. You know, these influencers that are always on mm. yachts and jets and this and that. I hate that shit because it's like, okay, yeah. sure, you can show your lifestyle, be proud of that, but be honest about, you know, and for many of them maybe it's that they had to cut a bunch of corners and that keeps them awake at night, you know? Like well, what is the, mm. what's the, what's the truth behind that? Because you're selling that and so if you're selling it, be, be honest about what that actually what that actually is and um mm-hmm. yeah like i guess i've i've done a lot of facilitation in my life as well and so i've held people in 
the humanity of their experiences. And that's been one of the biggest gifts of my work in, in that space is you truly see that nothing in life that's really worth it, you know, is, um, I don't want to say easy because I think when you're on path and when aligned, when you, when things are aligned, it can come in this easeful flowing way. Um, and that's a sign of alignment, but there's still something that will always be asked of you, you know, and sometimes what's being asked of you is courage. Sometimes what is being asked of you is transparency is strength is determination is will is, is self-control. Like you're always going to have tests. And so don't think that, that anyone has anything without having needed to, to give something. And, and if they, and if they haven't given anything on the way, they will be forced to give something at some point. And that's usually, you know, the demise of their creation or some kind of big drama that happens in their life. And then, you know, they have to pay their dues. We all ultimately have to reap what we sow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, That's beautiful. I am curious. I, I really like how, I don't know if the word is like, but um, when you were talking about the eating disorder and how you related that to um, self-betrayal, right? So like these consistent self-betrayals, I thought that was a really interesting way to frame that. And I'm curious, like for anybody who is going through, let's say like an addiction or a mental health crisis right now, and I mean, there is a lot of that <laughs> happening, right? Yeah. Like we are in a mental health crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I found an interesting stat on your website. It was something like 85% of the Western world is dealing with loneliness every single day, yeah. which is sure. wild, right? And I'd love to dig into why, what, why you think that is happening. Um, but first, I'm just wondering like what some <laughs> tips – you might have for folks who are just kind of going through it right now yeah these are these are big these are big questions you know because there's no there's no one there's no one answer um if i was to give a uniform answer it, for me it, it would be faith because i think no matter what you're going through um in terms of challenges if you're in a situation and I would say if someone's been in sort of prolonged states of loneliness or mental health challenges, it's something that they're actively wanting to change. You know, they wish it was different. Um, and if you haven't yet been able to cultivate that change, um, you need to be able to draw on a strength. And in, in moments where it doesn't feel available to you, like you just like when someone's dealing with depression, when I've been dealing with depression in my past, it just hasn't, everything has felt so hard, you know, yeah. like cooking a meal feels hard, let alone figuring out how to change your life. That's just totally overwhelming, you know. So where, where do you get that strength from? Um, and for me, I'm, I feel very blessed because I've, I've always felt connected to, to God. I've always felt connected to something bigger than me. That's even in my darkest times, there's been something that's existed in me that I know is bigger than my pain, bigger than my limitation, bigger than my challenges. Um, Even when I've felt, you know, not able to embody that, I've had a faith that that it's true and that it's existed and the times where I have felt expansive and elated and everything in my life feels like it's 
going in divine order, I've had those experiences enough to know that there is an intelligence, at least this is what I believe, that that's governing this experience. And from there, I can convince myself, okay, well, if there's a governing intelligence that is separate from nothing, including myself, um, that's equal in the sunset um, and the baby as, as and the trees as, as it is in me, I'm not separate from that. I'm from that miracle. I'm not separate from that perfection. And it's that thought that allows me to, to trust what I'm going through a bit more. Cause I think depression sucks no matter what, but what makes it suck even more and what makes loneliness suck even more than it does just by default is fighting it. You know, I think it's when, when you fight the depression, when you tell yourself you're wrong for being depressed, when you fight the loneliness and you tell yourself, you know, I've failed every relationship and why can't I, you know, find the love of my life and do my friends hate me and are my co-workers bitching about me, like whatever the thoughts are, when you're fighting it rather than just acknowledging it, which is ultimately what it wants, you know, your loneliness wants you to meet it with tenderness and to love yourself in that Um, because if you can't heal that feeling of loneliness, And I say this from a deep place of understanding, like this is not sort of this arbitrary answer. Like I really get what it feels like to be in those places. Um, And you want anything but what I'm about to say to be true because you just want to, you want relief from it. But what it's really calling you to do, it's like Rumi, you know, the cure for the pain is in the pain. It wants you to lean in. It wants you to be present and it wants you to learn how to heal that without external stimulus first so that, so that when you start inviting things into your life or life starts to sort of open up new doors so that you're not as lonely or that you enter a period where your depression is, um, is lifting again, the way that you can be in that space is uh, like deeply appreciative but totally unattached. And I think that's how we keep that's how we keep things alive in our life. That's it's when we learn to appreciate the flower instead of picking the flower, you know, than strangling and, and holding the flower. When we have these times of deep introspection and we're feeling lonely, if we don't do that work in those times, when life's put us in a position where we have to confront that, um, if we don't do that work, then we're going to come out of that cycle with the same tendency to attach with the same tendency to, to be so afraid that we're going to lose the thing that, that we think saving us from that loneliness, that we grab onto it. But if we don't need saving from the loneliness because we know how to heal ourselves in that space, then when a soulmate does come along or a new friendship group appears in your life, you, you relate to it in a way that's very different. You just appreciate the beauty and you allow it to be what it is and it's, it's a lot healthier and it's a lot more sustainable. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely resonate with that. Um, I've struggled a lot with depression in my life and anxiety and all kinds of health issues and so many circumstances just that just felt like they were never going to end. Right. Yes. Um, but what I've learned is that, you know, that the aspect of impermanence, like nothing does last forever. So even when you are in the deepest, darkest pit 
Like I remember just laying in bed and being like, I, I, I don't know when I'm going to get out. Like, is it a week from now? I don't know. You know, and the anxiety starts to creep up and then all of the self-hatred and I should be able to pull myself out of this. And I've got to a point where I just had to learn to allow it. Yeah. You know, like I feel like fucking driving off a cliff today. Every bone in my body hurts and I can't get out of bed. And I guess I'm not answering emails today. You know, as much anxiety as that would bring me (laughs) as an entrepreneur and feeling that I had to be responsible for all of these things, which, you know, I do have a responsibility for things. If I just couldn't function, then I just, I I wouldn't function. And I just had to trust, like you mentioned, like that faith aspect, I think is so incredibly important because if you don't have that, it just, it makes, yeah, it makes everything so much more difficult. And I just knew that the process that I was going through was a lesson that I needed to go through in order to heal myself and to be able to help others at some point, right? Like I I discovered, it took many, many years, but my depression was actually called or was caused by food, right? It was caused by gluten. And yeah, I mean, there were other things on top of that, you know, I had gone through tumultuous, you know, breakups and things like that, that would definitely, you know, make me struggle with my mood. Also just, you know, growing up, there were circumstances where it was more of a mood based depression rather than, you know, um, something that was changing the chemicals in my body because of what I was eating. Mm. Um, But that was the lesson there, right? But I had to go through that process of suffering for many, many, many years to finally find the thing and now be able to teach people about it Um, because I feel like a lot lot of people are suffering with mental health, you know, yes, because of the circumstances of society, but also because of all of the bullshit in our food, (laughs) right? Like that's a huge part of it as well. Yeah. And everything Mm -hmm. else, which is food, water, chemicals, it's, yeah. Oh God, it's just an assault 24 seven. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So what do you do now to stay on the top of your game? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, really like a lot of the lessons we've been speaking through up until now are, are my strategy. I've really, I've really had to learn to not fight reality you know, and, and actually, like, if, if you have a lot of visionary minds that, that listen to, to this amazing podcast, maybe they can relate. Like, I think as a visionary, you do by default fight reality because you're looking at reality and you're like, I don't accept this. <laughs> I have a vision. I have a, I have a vision of how yeah. reality should be. And I didn't realize actually how much that was making me blind to, to facing what was really there. And it's, it's not necessarily about, um, you know, okay, reality is this and that just is what it is so I can never make change. No, it's like this is truly what's present. Face it, accept it, and then figure out how you can move with it to get to where you want to go and, and eliminate force. Like that to me, I, th- I believe if I was to summarize my, my superpower as an entrepreneur and, and a leader, 
And maybe the thing that I notice is potentially different about my style compared to a lot of others um, that potentially suffer more in, in that seat. It's that I've had to learn to be really agile. And I think when you have a vision and you're fixed on the vision, and this was the lessons anorexia gave to me, right? Like I had this vision of how I had to look, um, mm. what I had to achieve. And I had to learn the very, very hard way that I went through very real daily, well, hourly, minute by minute suffering of starvation. And when I finally got there, I had nothing, you know, and I went through all of that suffering just to be told if you don't start to gain weight again, you're going to die, you know, which was so different to, to what I had in my head. And so um, the dark side of, of having a tunnel vision is um, you're never open to actually seeing, you know, what's, what's really there and simultaneously you need to be able to do that as well as hold this, uh, this vision for a, for a better future. But if you're holding a vision for a better future and you're sacrificing what's here now or you're rejecting what's here now, it's really no way to live. You know, it's a very sacrificial, punishing way to live because you never arrive. <laughs> you never, ever, ever get there. And um, yeah. it's the same for someone that's suffering with, you know, mental illness or maybe a health um, complication it's so it's such a paradox because when you're not well all you want to be as well mm -hmm. just just imagine just imagine it's a horrible thing to imagine I know but imagine you never got well how could you find peace and happiness where you are and the paradox is if you can you're cultivating in real time the very thing that's going to heal you. And, and that's what leads you towards wellness, you know, but when we're always looking outward, you know, and that's, it's the toughest lesson. It's the toughest lesson to learn, but it's the most powerful lesson to learn. And I do my best to lead that way. And I do my best to bring others into an environment where they're also not sacrificing now for what we're creating. Um, and that's often the feedback you know, that, that um, I get from the, cl the closest people in my team is they've come from environments where they're super gifted and super talented, um, but they felt exploited, you know. Mm -hmm. And so um, my job, I see my job as, as that I'm there to listen as much as I am um, to build a bridge with them and figure out how we can do both. And if we've got a slow slow this down in order for that to be balanced then you know let's make those decisions as we, as we go and to not to not have that sort of mentality um which me of all people it's that doesn't come naturally to me like I'm very focused individual I know what I want so assessing things in the present as I go um I've had to learn that patience I've really had to learn that patience and I'm still learning that patience and if you ask people that worked for me, you know, even three years ago, they'd, they'd probably have terrible things to say about, about me in that way. I've, I've con continually had to learn how to be more of that. Mm. Patience is a hard one. 
It's really hard, especially when you have a powerful vision and you've seen it and you're just like, I need to bring this into reality now. Yeah, I definitely identify with that. And I know on my entrepreneurial journey, again, I guess this was kind of like this comparison thing, but it wasn't when I started out, um, but I guess it was kind of in the middle of my journey and um, I was working for Mind Valley overseas there in Malaysia and I was very much immersed in the startup culture that was at the time just about grinding and hustling, like, you know, just in, in intensely that, that whole, like everything that was happening in Silicon Valley at that time, cause this was like 2014 to 2016. Um, and I know things have shifted a little bit more where people are talking more about like work-life balance and that sort of thing, but it was not that at that point. <laughs> And so I was kind of thrown into that culture because Mind Valley had adopted it at that time. I don't think they do that anymore from what I've heard, but it was very much that. But I was also kind of that person as well. Like I was always like a hustler, right? Like I was always working. And I remember at that point I was working at Mind Valley. I had another startup um, that I had co-founded there. And I'm just grinding till, you know, one, two in the morning sometimes and getting to the point of just like crawling into bed. And yeah, so you're just, you have like these big dreams and you're so focused and you want to get it done. And you see, again, you're comparing, you're seeing all of these other businesses that seemingly take off so quickly, you think, right? And have this level of success. And when you're not seeing it manifesting as quickly as you want, it can be um, it can be challenging for sure. So there's a spiritual practice in entrepreneurship. I think I had this conversation um, with um, the founder of the Shift Network, who was just recently on the podcast, and he was that you know that that's what he said, and I was like, oh, hundred percent, one hundred percent. That is such a deep spiritual practice in entrepreneurship. Yeah. Yeah, I could not agree more than that. Like definitely, you know, in um many different philosophies that they'll talk about different ways of um connecting to, to God or connecting to the divine and um devotionality I know is is definitely my path. And mm-hmm. my biggest expression of that is my vision, you know, yep. to no matter what consistently be devotional. Um part of devotion is listening to what it requires of you you know not just forcing it to be but actually having that be a two-way there's a level of obedience you know and that that word like very I think provocative for a lot of people who want to be um self-starters and hustle and make it happen but actually like I suffocate my vision if I don't listen to it it's its own living organism that's that's me to be a servant to it um not the other way around and mm-hmm. yeah, so when, when you realize that if you have a big vision and I think that that's that's the relationship that's the orientation that has to occur if you have a vision that's beyond just you if you have a vision for the world you've got to surrender it surrender it over to an intelligence that's beyond you because you can't we as one person can change the world, but the way one person changes the world, I believe, is by surrendering to something much bigger than just them. Mm. Yeah, I think in in this culture of individualism, that really gets lost. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, this leads up perfectly to my next question, which will probably be my last as we're getting to the end of our time together. Um, but your vision, right? Like this civilization of love by 2030. Why don't you talk about that a little bit more and like what you guys do at Love Out Loud, how you work with people, all of that good stuff. Yeah, that's my favorite topic. Um, so I guess the first thing to understand about Love Out Loud is it was a, um, a philosophy that came from deep observation, working with people. I had uh, different companies that I had started and run, um, mostly in the nonprofit space before I started Love Out Loud. Um, I was also a commissioner in the Australian government for four years, which was really kind of interesting contrast because a lot of my work in the nonprofit space was working directly with communities. Um, and so it was the work with those communities and the success I had uh, achieved in those communities that then led to um, being an ally within within government to help them understand how to approach mental health differently. So it was a very broad spectrum of experiences and with that came deep observation and um, a lot of listening to, to what was really there for people. And what I really started to see was it didn't matter if I was speaking to the prime minister or if I was speaking to the the worker in a rural community, if you could get past the the superficial and actually hear them, they were all wanting the same thing, you know, and um, everyone just wants to be seen and heard. And so I had this at the time, what felt like a huge epiphany where I was like, oh, my God, like the system, it's nothing to do with the system. It's how people show up within the system. You know, it's how, it's how people are, are treating each other day to day. Um, which sounds so obvious, but it's it's so missed in these conversations. You, you work at that level of government, everyone's wanting to find, you know, the solution, the program that's going to fix mental health, the drug that's going to fix mental health. And no, like that's not not life. You know what what that is? Is human beings trying to take a very complex thing that is life and make it really, really, really simple. And in the process of that. Um, we lose all of the nuance. We lose the natural process of change and evolution, full circle. Um, and I saw that being done to such a degree that there were so many gaps because none of that grey was accounted for. Everyone was trying to find that box. Um, and it was, was seeing that and seeing that the biggest transformation I ever saw occur in communities when I had the, the privilege of working with those communities was when I was the most present. It was when I said, you know what, I'm not just going to write, you know, a, a program for the council to to attempt at rolling out into the school there. I'm actually going to go and live in the community for a month. I'm going to be there. I'm going to listen. I'm going to I'm going to care. I'm going to to show up. Like that's when the change happens, and that's always true. And um, there's a spiritual law called the law of value, and it's value is a direct result of the energy and intent put into something and i, I think you can't create huge value without the intent you know uh, and the willingness to, to 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 show up for that um it's just energetically doesn't make sense but simultaneously if you've become masterful at something you might be able to give a million dollars of value in a minute but you've had to there's all of those decades worth of refining and thinking that's put you in a position 
where that truly is um, integrous as, as an exchange. And so seeing that, I realized I could, I could support advocacy in this way, you know, for the next 30 years, but ultimately it's the wrong race. What I saw as the right race is what truly touches people, what truly intrinsically inspires people to, to be different. And the answer when I started asking that question was so simple. It's love, you know, when, when someone truly finds love inside themselves. Um, and naturally at that time I started to, to look, you know, are the, who are the, the people, the leaders, the, the, the prophets, the gurus that are, that are teaching this and how accessible is it? How much do we really understand love in our society? It's really arguably not very well because the ideas of love have been given to us by Disney, you know, and by Hollywood. It's not, it's very one dimensional and it's, it's not accessible to understand that love is a skill set that we can cultivate and develop and it's an action we can take and it's a strategy in leadership and it's a strategy in life. <laughs> and so it was it's seeing that that um, inspired me to, to write Love Out Loud first and foremost and get that philosophy really clear. And then it was an incredibly beautiful journey to watch it grow into into a movement and to see that something so simple like the philosophy itself is very simple that there's this love inside of you and first you need to discover it and when you discover it the rest of the journey is learning how to express that without limitation to to be able to love out loud and when you learn how to do that you know and part of that journey is to heal all of the wounds and traumas that are standing in the way of you being able to freely express love to yourself and to the world and like just like the innocence of a child you know it's there you find true liberation um and i think that's where you really you're on purpose because how could you not be on purpose if that's where you're coming from in inside of yourself it's a very pure it's a very pure place to be there's no agenda there's no motive and that's freedom when you're not needing to cover anything up um and yeah, and, and seeing the powerful application of that philosophy in people's lives, like serious transformation, like people really leaving their jobs and, you know, big, big, big changes that um, I think many, many modalities that I'd seen people work with, there's a lot of revisiting the same thing again and again and again, and it's not compelling people to actually take action. And that that's when passion is is what what is the the breakthrough what's the reframe that really allows people to, to 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 do things differently in their life to get more comfortable with change and I think the power of love does it's really the it's only the power of love really a lot of the time when when the fear is so great um and it was this yeah living organism that continued to to build on itself and it really is I'm it's like servant truly that's how I feel <laughs> um but because the philosophy was so clear and I guess there was this power in it being a people's movement that there were so many different versions of love out loud that exist in in every human and their expression of it um the team and I started to see just how how much we could use this as a methodology behind so much of the new world that we want to design you know, what would it look like if all of our systems were built on, on these foundations and this understanding?
And then you really, you start to see why society is where it's at because the foundations of where so many of our systems have been built, whether it be education or health or politics, like it's, it's rotten to the core, quite literally. It's not, it's not pure. And so we can make all of these superficial changes, but it's just like rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. It's not true change. Um, and we're solving big problems, like the civilization of love to us um, in its highest expression is a, lon- a non-local civilization, quite literally, that has its own health systems and education systems. And you can be a citizen and you can trade economically, but it's not its not money. It's um, integrity and attention and compassion and alignment and love as, as the currency. Um, and so within within that, there's a, there's a lot of um, architecting, uh, architecting and infrastructure that we're constantly growing and building. Um, one of the things I'm most excited for is the tech that we're developing at the moment, which will have the ability to measure alignment to belief systems um, through. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How does that work? Um, so using different biosignals. So the way the, the body, different parts of the body and the mind respond um, that, that can basically be um, transformed into a, a coherent score with, with certain certain belief systems and then helping the individual clear blocks that are in the way of alignment. So obviously on an individual level, that's amazing, but imagine um, on a collective level, say there was something crazy that was announced like a nuclear war tomorrow, but being able to have a technology that can send a push notification out to half a billion people around the world and say, hey, would you like to become congruent to the belief I live in a peaceful world? And through the power of the collective subconscious mind, actually create enough momentum towards the eradication of that timeline through no external force, just through internal alignment at a at a significant enough scale. Um, and so that that's my my deepest passion. I think technology is is definitely the way to do it. But I think the way we think about technology is so, I mean, that's, I could do three podcasts just on that. Technology is a system, you know, it's a, it's not hardware. It's not, it's a system. Um, and when we start to think about technology like that, then we get to really examine, you know, the ethics of that system and the, the foundations of that system. And, and that's a big part of my passion as a systems thinker and a design thinker, but also this deep part of me that's philosophical and poetic uh, to be able to bridge those things, which I think in building any world, you know, any civilization, it's it's the combination of all of those types of thinking that, that bring it to life. Um, so yeah, I love it. I can't I can't get enough of what of what we do day to day. Wow. Okay. I had no idea that it was going in that direction. That is fascinating. And so, so inspiring. I love your vision. It's so beautiful. And so for people to connect with you, so you, you have courses and things. Are you guys doing live events again? Are you getting back into that now? We are actually, yeah. So please check out, um, check out our socials and our site. So we're going to be um, launching a few new intakes really soon in the next couple of weeks. Amazing. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, how, what is the best way for people to, to connect with you and follow your journey, like get notified when this tech comes out, all of that good jazz? For the tech, you can visit Intruth, I-N-Truth, one word, dot I-O. Um, Intruth Technology is the, the tech arm of Love Out Loud. And for me, just, yeah, follow me on any, on any platform, really, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, probably Insta for your listeners or LinkedIn. Uh, everything's Nicole Gibson except Instagram, which is Nick Gibson, N-I-C Gibson. Um, or you can go to my website, NicoleGibson.com. Um, yeah, please connect. I also love when I do a podcast. I love hearing what you guys, you know, took from it. And so please don't hesitate to reach out and have a chat. Yeah, absolutely. And feel free, you know, for anybody listening to, you know, if this podcast resonated with you, take a screenshot, share it, tag myself, Nicole. Yeah, tag us. Let us know what you what you thought. All right. Well, thank you so much for this beautiful conversation. Again, you are just such an inspiration. I'm so happy to to know you and to get to connect with you again and watch you on this um, amazing journey that you're on. Likewise, my friend. Congratulations on your podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for sharing your time and energy with us today. We'd love to hear your feedback on how our podcast has impacted your life and are also open to suggestions for new and interesting topics. Please leave your comments with a quick review to help us grow this magical community of wellness warriors and light workers. Every month, we select one lucky reviewer to win a big magic box containing all three of our beautiful magic lattes. To connect with us further, check us out on Instagram at wild underscore remedies. Thank you again and see you at the next episode.